Are you and I hungry for more? Or can we only ever handle the basic things, the foundational things? If we would grow, if we want to grow, frankly, if we would survive as Christians in such a complicated world as this, we need to be ready to go deep in our understanding of the Word of God. Welcome to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths. I'm Steve Hiller. Glad you're with us as we continue our series, So Great a Salvation. And Jonathan, as you uh, just point out, if we want to continue to grow, we need to have that solid foundation, establishing our lives and our beliefs on the truth of God's Word. But we need to continue to spend time in His Word so that we can continue to grow. We absolutely do. And it's really challenging. It's really interesting to see the expectation that's set up here in our passage in Hebrews today. The writer insists that those who belong to Christ will be growing in Christ, and there is an expectation that we move on from foundational truth to deeper truth as we walk with the Lord. And and I find that challenging to consider because sometimes I wonder, you know, how much more am I learning? What new discoveries am I making in the Word of God? But there is this expectation that we will be feeding, we will be digging into the Word, and we will be growing in our understanding as we go along in the Christian life. And I think that's a good challenge for us. Uh, it's a great challenge, and I have, I found, I don't know if you have, if we go to God's Word with an expectation to continue to hear from Him, asking God before we even open His Word to show us what He would have for us today, that He will answer that prayer. And just the constant obedience and active worship of going to His Word repeatedly does lead to that growth that you're talking about, even if we don't necessarily see it in the moment. Oh, I think I think that's right. We need to come with great expectations, and we need to come prayerfully. And so often we we fall short of that, don't we? I know, speaking personally, I know I do. So that's a, that's a great encouragement with which to begin. Well, we are going to begin our message today called "A Word of Warning" from Hebrews chapter five and six. So grab a Bible and join us there as we begin our message. Here is Jonathan. Well, I wonder if you ever feel that you are not where you should be, not where you could be in terms of your spiritual maturity. I think that if we're serious-minded Christians who know something of the high calling of Christ, then we'll be keenly aware of just how far we have yet to go in the Christian life. In our passage this morning, the writer rather abruptly interrupts his teaching flow on his grand theme of the high priesthood of Jesus after the order of Melchizedek and so on. He interrupts his teaching flow to address the slowness, the sluggishness of the people to listen and the people to grow. It's as though he kind of steps aside from his teaching pulpit and addresses the hearts of the people and addresses what he perceives to be a lack of spiritual maturity. It's very likely that he sent this letter as a letter to be read aloud to a congregation who are at a distance from him at the present time. He sent it to them, but at the same time, he knows the people. And he's now imagining this letter being read out to the congregation, probably on the Sunday morning in their gathering. And in his mind's eye, he can see some people dozing. He he can see some people wandering in their attention. And he knows what's going on, verse 11. The people, at least some of them, are dull of hearing, or that could be translated sluggish of hearing, And he sees that there is a spiritual issue going on here. 
It's not just that the heating is on too high or the AC is broken again. No, there's a heart issue and it needs to be addressed. These folk have been believers for a while and they should now be mature. They should now, verse 12, be teachers. But when he starts to dig into these more challenging topics, the high priesthood of Jesus after the order of Melchizedek and things like that, when he digs into these kind of topics, well, they're lost. It's as though he needs to start all over again back at square one with the basics of the faith. It's a wonderful moment when a baby moves from milk to solid food. I don't know if you have this, but we've got an app on our phones that kind of catalogs all our photographs going back some years, actually. And it occasionally, from time to time, brings up a slideshow of, you know, this time five years ago or whatever. And, and this last week, it happened to bring up a slideshow of the time when one of our, our kids started eating normalish food in a high chair. And, you know, the mess involved in that, it is just incredible. (laughs) The app brought up this wonderful picture of one of our little ones in the high chair, just covered head to toe, completely covered in food. And you think, how did we ever clean all that up? How did we get the stains out of those clothes? How did we remove those marks from the wall nearby? (laughs) Despite all the mess, it's a wonderful stage to reach. Going on to solid food, it's a sign of growth. It's a sign of development. It is a sign of maturity. The writer's really burdened over the fact that in spiritual terms, this group of believers hasn't yet made it onto solids. End of verse 12. You need milk, not solid food. You haven't reached that point in your spiritual development when you can interact with and engage with the more advanced, more substantial teaching of the Word of God. He wants to move on, chapter 6 and verse 1. He needs to move on and he's going to move on, but he's concerned. Are they spiritually at the place where they can cope with this stuff, where they, they can digest it and internalize it? Now, that was the situation historically, but actually it is a very challenging thing for us here today to consider personally. What does our reception of the Word of God really look like here today? How well do we cope with more challenging teaching? And what is our response and our ability to cope with that? What does it say about our spiritual maturity? Are you and I hungry for more? Are we ready for more? Or can we only ever handle the basic things, the foundational things, the essentials of repentance and faith toward God and so on? You see, it's possible to completely stagnate in terms of our spiritual development because we simply cannot or will not digest substantial teaching. But if, if we would grow, if we want to grow, frankly, if we would survive as Christians in such a complicated world as this, well, if we would do those things, we need to be ready to go deep in our understanding of the Word of God. We need a deep theology. We need a rich biblical knowledge. We need a robust Christian world view. We need those things, each one of us, but are we ready to develop them? For the spiritually sluggish, which may include many of us, at least in some seasons of our lives, if not all the time, the writer has some urgent things to say to us on the subject of our spiritual health and our maturity things that are urgent enough for him to interrupt what he's doing in the letter and to give them some attention. He begins rather uncomfortably with that word of warning that we see in chapter 6, really through verses 4 
4 through 8. We read them a moment ago. These aren't light verses. They warn against falling away, verse 6. They speak of the danger of facing a future, verse 8, of God's curse, even of fiery destruction. What are we to make of these verses? How are we to read them? I mean, they raise this very big question that we spoke about not so long ago in Hebrews, the question of whether a true believer can ever fall away, can ever lose their salvation. And that is, of course, a huge question. After all, we're each one of us so weak and so inclined to sin that but for the sheer grace of God, any one of us could go right off the rails at any time. I mean, if it's actually truly possible that a genuine believer could fall away, I think we should be worried, quite frankly. Well, I want to say right here at the outset that I don't think the writer is teaching us that a true believer can fall away from grace. I don't think that's what he's doing. I don't think that's his point. And I don't want any of us to go away from here thinking that we might lose our salvation if indeed we truly belong to Christ. Later on in the passage, the writer is going to offer us some wonderful reassurance. But it's important for us to see that he doesn't start with reassurance. He very intentionally starts with a warning. And we need to listen carefully and closely to that warning before we do anything else. The writer wants to get the attention of any of us who are dull of hearing spiritually, who are sluggish, who are, yes, hearing the word of God pretty regularly, but we're just not getting anywhere in the Christian life. He wants to show us that for such people, the stakes are very, very high. If we were to continue down that road of sluggishness, of drifting, of doubt, of disbelief, if we continue down that road, well, the ultimate destination is a fearful one. And so he says to us, look, imagine the case, verse 4, of someone who has been enlightened spiritually. The spiritual light switch has been turned on. Their eyes have been opened. They've understood and they've responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ. They've tasted something of the heavenly gift of the realities of heaven itself by faith. They've shared in the Holy Spirit. He's begun his work in them. He started to transform them. And of course, that right there is the great indication in this passage that these are real believers in view, because we might write off the warning and say, oh, well, it's just addressed to unbelievers or false believers or something. Well, well no, no unconverted person is shared in the Holy Spirit of God. These people have tasted the goodness of the Word of God. They've fed on it and they found it to be sweet and wholesome and good. As God has begun his work in their lives, they've experienced something of the power of God that will be made fully manifest in the age to come. These are people who have made a genuine start spiritually. Now, just imagine, imagine the case of someone like this who decides after a few weeks or a few months or a few years or decades that actually following Jesus wasn't the right thing after all. They're just not all that interested, not all that convinced anymore. They've been sluggish for a good long time, hard of hearing in spiritual terms, and eventually, over time, they drift away. Imagine that such a person at some point in time actually turns away from Christ in a decisive way, gives up on Jesus, disavows the Lord. Now, what would happen to them if they a little while after that, then regretted their decision, what would be the next step 
Could they be reconverted? Could they come again to Jesus sometime later for re-cleansing from sin, for re-salvation? And the writer says to us quite simply, well, well no. No, they, they couldn't do that. To abandon Jesus and then come back for salvation once more, it would be equivalent, verse 6, to asking for the re-crucifixion of Jesus Christ. He died once for you and once was truly enough. To abandon him and then try to return to him, it would, end of the verse, hold him up to public contempt. It would make a mockery of him and of his salvation. And so the writer says to us, don't expect that if you abandon Jesus, turn your back on Jesus, disavow Jesus, and then have a change of heart down the road, don't anticipate that he would be ready to save you a second time. Writer then moves in verse 7 to a new image, that of land cultivated for farming, land that drinks in the rain and produces a good crop over time. He says that receives the blessing of God. The believer who drinks in the word of God and grows in Christ and bears spiritual fruit, that believer receives the salvation blessings of God in the end. But the land, the person that produces no fruit, only thorns and thistles, only doubt and disbelief and ungodly behavior, that land is of no spiritual value. It'll be burned. Now, those are hard words. That is a stark warning if there ever was one in the Word of God. And we need to hear what's being said. Let me say that you need to hear this warning if you are in the process today of drifting away from Jesus. If you find yourself sluggish toward his word, if your ears are closing to his voice in the scriptures, if you see yourself going down a pathway that leads away from the Lord, if that is the direction of travel in your life, and you'll know if that's the case, you don't need me or anyone else to tell you. If that's what's going on with you, these words here are written to wake you up. They're written down, quite frankly, to make you feel very uncomfortable about what you're doing and about where you're going. And some here, I have no doubt, are on a road that is heading away from Jesus even today. Maybe you're someone who's grown up in church, and for the sake of friends and family, you're still here, you're here today, but your heart has actually drifted a long way from Jesus. Your life is now actually miles away from a genuinely Christian life. Well, if that's you, hear this warning. Please hear it. It's dangerous to walk down that path. That's the warning, and it's very stark. You're listening to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths and a message called A Word of Warning. It's part of a larger series from the book of Hebrews, we're calling So Great a Salvation, and if you miss any broadcast in the series, you can always come to our website and you can listen online. Just come to EncounterTheTruth.org, and there you can stream the program or download an MP3. Again, our website address is EncounterTheTruth.org. Well, if you have just joined us, we are in the book of Hebrews. We're looking at chapter 5, verse 11 through chapter 6, verse 20. So if you don't have one already, grab a Bible and join us there. Once again, here is Jonathan. That's the warning, and it's very stark. But having given us that warning, the writer then brings a word of encouragement for the genuine believer, and he brings it right away. Notice with me verse 9. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. 
For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. The writer has, if you like, dragged us to the very edge of the cliff face and he's forced us to look over at the rocky valley below and he's made us think through and imagine what it would look like to fall down there. But now in verse 9, he says to these believers, I'm actually totally confident that you are not headed over. I feel sure, confident, certain of better things for you, things that accompany salvation, things to do with salvation. And here's why he's confident. He has seen evidence in their lives of genuine conversion. Verse 10, you've worked in service of Christ. You've served the saints and demonstrated true Christian love in your behavior. I can see that from the evidence of your life, you really do belong to Jesus. And because I see evidence that you are truly converted, I am confident that you are saved and so will be saved. There, of course, will be some people who appear to be Christians, but who over time drift away. And the issue for them was that they were never saved in the first place. But for these believers, the writer says, no, I'm convinced that you are actually saved, and so you're going to be saved. Well, if that's what you thought all the way along, Mr. Hebrews, why did you just put us through all that agony of the previous verses? That was a pretty rough five or ten minutes for us here. Why did you force us to go on that emotional roller coaster? Was that entertaining for you? Because it certainly wasn't for us. Near our home, there's a high weir, a big concrete dam really on the Rideau River. It's actually an unusually high dam for the Rideau system. And if you don't like heights at all, a bit like me, it's actually a little uncomfortable to stand on the walkway above it and look down at the water rushing out below. If you're a boat in a, the reservoir above, you'll see bright red warning signs and red buoys telling you and urging you not to go anywhere near it. I gather it's been the site of at least one terrible tragedy many years ago, and it's a, a very dangerous place because the current is strong and the undertow is powerful. Now, the warning signs are there not because the authorities assume or believe that anyone is necessarily going to get too close and get dragged under. No, the warning signs are there for the express purpose of stopping anyone from getting anywhere close to the danger. That's the point of the warning. That's the purpose. If no one actually went down the weir after the warnings were put up, you wouldn't turn around and say to the authorities, look, this warning was false. The warning was disingenuous. No, you'd say, well, this warning has been effective. This was a good warning. The warning signs are designed to be effective. They're expected to work. Well, the same is true here in this warning in Hebrews. The, the purpose of the warning that we heard a few moments ago is to stop us going anywhere near abandoning Jesus. The warning is given to stop us even getting into the neighborhood of turning our back on the Savior. Now, we might respond to that by saying, look, the Word of God makes it clear that God holds on to those who are His true people, His true children. And I believe it does say that. We could look at plenty of passages that teach us that. God never lets go of His people. We're secure in Him. 
But if that's the case, if he's committed to holding on to us, if he's powerful enough to hold on to us, why does he warn us here in in Hebrews chapter 6? Well, to try and puzzle this one out, we need to think for a moment about how it is that God keeps us. I mean, if he does that wonderful work of holding on to his children, as we know he does, as we believe he does, how actually does he do it? That's a good question. My wife was out for a walk in our neighborhood with some friends the other day, and they came upon a dog sitting right smack in the middle of the road, whimpering, looking longingly at the house opposite it, but not moving at all. The dog was obviously distressed, and they were concerned for it. Uh, They found the number on the dog's tag and tried to call it. Quite soon, a member of the owner's family came along, and so all was well. But it became clear that the property had an invisible electric dog perimeter that was activated. The dog maybe went out when the perimeter wasn't turned on, but now the perimeter was turned on and the dog was outside it and he couldn't get back in. He was whimpering in the middle of the road because that was as close as he could get before he hit the barrier. You couldn't see the restraint, but it was holding him in place. It wasn't allowing him to go any further. As believers, we can't always see the mechanisms that God is using to hold on to us. But that doesn't mean that he isn't using any mechanisms. It doesn't mean that he's not using some pretty ordinary means actually to hold on to his people. You see, God is a God of means. He is practical. And he often uses a variety of quite familiar tools and resources to do his spiritual work. These things aren't mysterious. He's given us his church. He's given us one another. He's given us the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper, all of which help us to believe and keep on believing. And supremely, I believe, above all others, he has given us his word. He's given us the scriptures, which is at the very heart of his plan to hold on to his children. Now, within his word, he uses all of his word and its rich variety to keep us. But within his word, he particularly uses some strong warnings to keep us from drifting. His words of warning are given to be signposts and guardrails and tethers for the soul. And actually, that's more or less exactly what the writer tells us in verse 11. Here is the purpose of this section of the word of God. We desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope to the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. There is a positive tethering purpose to the warning. Through the rider, the Lord has taken us right to the cliff edge. He's forced us to look over and to see what's there, to see how bad it would be to fall. And he's done that with this positive purpose, verses 11 and 12, that we might never fall. Walking to the edge of that cliff and considering just how bad it would be, just how awful it would be to be separated from our Savior, to forego the joy of knowing him, the hope of being with him. Actually, just thinking about that for a moment is spiritually healthy for each one of us. It's good for us. Because when we get near to the edge, our instinct is to go back to safety, to get well away from the danger. But friends, if you're someone who knows Jesus, you trust him, 
Your life gives evidence of salvation. If you've been serving the Lord and showing love to his saints as these folk have, be encouraged. God doesn't abandon, doesn't forget his people. He doesn't let us go. He won't do that. But he warns us in his kindness that he might keep us. Jonathan Griffiths here on Encounter the Truth with a message called A Word of Warning. And we're going to pause here, but we'll continue on our next broadcast. If you ever miss a program, come and listen online. Our website is EncounterTheTruth.org. And whether you listen online, through our app, or on the radio, it's all made possible through your generosity. So thank you for supporting this ministry. And as you give a gift of any amount this month, we want to send you a book that Jonathan has picked out. It is called Faithful God, and it's a look at the book of Ruth. Again, it's our thank you gift to you as you support the ministry this month. Find out more or give online at EncounterTheTruth.org or call us at 833-99-TRUTH. That's 1-833-998-7884 or EncounterTheTruth.org. For Jonathan Griffiths, I'm Steve Hiller. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time.